As you turn to Psalm chapter 21, I just want to take a moment to say thank you to Shane and to Seth for their preaching over the last few weeks. Uh, not only for bringing the word so faithfully, but actually that has released me not, not only to take some vacation time with family, which is a gift uh, to be able to get away and spend extended time with family, but also to do some planning uh, next month, about a month from today, as a leadership team, we'll be getting away for what we typically do around this time of year, some of our strategic planning for our calendar for the new year, some of the key themes for us as a church for the new year, and it's given me a little bit of time to, to focus in on that. And I just want to say thank you to them for allowing that opportunity, and thank you, church, for the way that you responded uh, to Shane and to Seth preaching over these last few weeks. I wonder today uh, if, if I use too many sports illustrations if I'll lose people. So let me acknowledge I use sports illustrations today, which if you know me as a preacher, that's not typically the illustration that I use. Uh, unfortunately, over these last few years and victory in a, in a world that seems to just be plagued by constant battle and conflict in a clear way, doesn't it? And I'm not saying that sports analogies are the best analogies for those things, but I don't want that to be something that just kind of causes us to turn off to, to what I believe God's word is actually after in our heart. I was listening to a podcast earlier this week, and, and Tom Holland was talking about uh, being told that he was invited to Madison Square Garden, and somebody was telling him, you've got to go to a basketball game in Madison Square Garden. There's nothing like it in the world. And so finally, after a couple of years of being told this, he was able to attend a basketball game at Madison Square Garden, and he said it was a neat experience, but they were right. There's nothing like it in the world, because in the world, there's actually something better than that experience. I thought that's interesting to hear him articulate that. And then what he went on to say was he said, as I've been in different arenas, as I've been in different stadiums, whether it's related to uh, English football, whether it's related to Aussie rules, rugby, whether it's related to other types of matches, there's actually something far better than the experience of Madison Square Garden in an NBA basketball game. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd love to attend an NBA basketball game at Madison Square Garden. That, that seems like a fun thing to do. But what he, he began to describe was something that was just, well, it sounded like heaven. And I don't mean that from the standpoint of this rapture of sport. It sounded like heaven. He started to use phrases like this. Everybody in unison, in the same key, begins to sing songs of victory. And I thought, that sounds amazing. He started to talk about the size of these arenas and hundreds of thousands of people. And then that spilling over into the streets that surround that space. And he said that they're all chanting in the same direction, cheering on their team. I thought, that sounds amazing. And then he started to talk about how there would be these chants that would join in the victory when a goal would be scored or something spectacular would be happened or some victory in that particular match would happen and it was almost as if every single one of those fans contributed to make that happen and I started to think this sounds beyond amazing this sounds like heaven this sounds like heaven you're so close Tom and yet without Christ so far away I think there's something Deep inside each one of us that longs for that kind of experience. We enjoy that kind of moment together. Think about this, mo this morning in worship as you're joining in song with others and then Allie throws in that throwback song. And she throws that in there, you are king of kings, you are lord of lords. And all of a sudden maybe that's a song that ministered to you some 
15 years or so ago when it came out. And all of a sudden your mind goes back to those things where the Lord was ministering to you. I think that that's something that's deeply designed inside of us to, to, that longs for that type of experience to be able to sing out in victory. And we're reminded of the faithfulness of God. See, this psalm today is going to point us not to being close to heaven today, but leading us to rejoice in heaven today. Being able to rejoice in the victory that God has provided for us. So let's begin to read together as we look at singing in the victory. Psalm chapter 21. O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices. And in your salvation, how greatly he exalts. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request from his lips. Selah. For you meet with him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He asked life of you and you gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation, splendor and majesty you bestow upon him. For you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence For the king trusts in the Lord. And through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Father, I pray this morning that your word would lead and guide us to rejoice in your victory. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we're jumping off of what we saw last week in, in Psalm chapter 20, verse 9. It says this, O Lord, save the king. May he answer when we call. Psalm 20 and 21 are complementary to one another. They, they are the opposite ends of, of an account of something that happens in Israel's history. Now, we're not given the specifics of that, but essentially what's happening is, is that there is a song and a prayer and a petition leading into battle in Psalm chapter 20. And in, verse, and in chapter 21, there is a victory song being sung after that, that victory, after that, that accomplishment in the nation. Perhaps we could just look at that and say, that's wonderful for Israel. What does that have to do with me? Well, let's look at some of the themes that are in here as a record of God's answer to the prayer of Psalm 20. How is it that we respond when God says yes to our prayers? Too often we're focused on the no's that God brings, and God brings no's to our prayers, to be sure. But how is it that we respond when God says yes, when he answers one of those prayers? What is it that we do in the midst of that? This isn't just some answer regarding individual protection from the occasional struggles of life. Now, there's actually something that's far more eternal that's being referenced here. I just want us to look at this. We're seeing this salvation that's being rejoiced in in verse 1. But if you look down to verse 4, it says, length of days forever and ever. Okay, we could just look at that as like poetic hyperbole. Maybe, maybe David's just, you know, in this fun way just talking about the salvation and no I think that this is actually pointing to something far greater than this moment of victory this is actually pointing to a king who is far greater than David himself length of days forever and ever is not some hyperbolic accident in poetic language 
It's specific promise for those who believe in Jesus Christ. It's an eternal victory that Christ wins for us. And David is pointing to something far greater than this momentary trial that there's been victory in. He's pointing to an eternal victory to come. Now, you know what's interesting about this passage is I can say that because we know these things are coming in Scripture. But David didn't have this. The nation of Israel didn't have this. But David is leading the people of Israel to something even far greater than the battle that they just won. He's leading them to sing in a victory that is eternal. He's lifting their eyes from something quite temporary here on this earth. And he's raising their eyes to spiritual places, raising their vision to an eternal destiny. How often do we need this same type of leadership in our own lives? Where our minds can get so focused on the the day in and day out trials. But God answers the petitions of chapter 20 with victory. And the people of God are rejoicing in his victory. What happens in the midst of this victory? There are rich blessings that come upon them. There is a crown of fine gold set upon his head. Do you realize how connected this psalm is to chapters 14 and 15 of Revelation? Where there are these phrases that are being used that are echoed in looking forward to eternity in the book of Revelation, where he is pointing to something far greater than these moments. And so this morning for us as a church, let us lift our eyes beyond our momentary trials. Let us lift our eyes beyond what may even seem like a trial that will never end in this lifetime. And let's lift our eyes to eternity and see a victory that we could not secure for ourselves no matter the amount of effort that we put into it. No matter the struggle or trial or toil that we go through, no matter the costs that we try to pay, no matter the sacrifices we try to make in this life, there is an eternal victory that has been secured through Jesus Christ that this passage should lift our eyes to today. And not only lift our eyes, it should cause our hearts to sing. It should be one of those things where, much like that international match, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, in unison, with one voice, we begin to raise a song of praise before the Lord. Because He has won what we could not. He has secured an eternal victory when our temptation is to have our eyes on this temporary, momentary life how kind of God to not only let us see this victory but to call us back to himself verse 4 says length of days forever and ever that in verse 6 you make him most blessed forever you make him glad with the joy of your presence this isn't just singing in a victory one This is singing about the victor himself. And the victor in this case may be represented through King David. But for us today, we recognize the victor that we can rejoice in is Jesus Christ himself. How often do we think about Christ as victorious on our behalf? It's right that we see him as one who ministers to us when we need to be comforted. It's right that we understand His Holy Spirit being sent to strengthen us and that in those moments of our own weakness that He is shown as strong. 
It's right that we see that He is King and Lord. He is our Savior. He is our Sovereign. But it's also right that we rejoice that He is victorious in ways that we never could be in this life. It's what should cause our hearts to sing when Allison shares a verse like what she did earlier today and she says that take heart in this world because I have overcome the world. That is Christ, victorious church. And you may think this seems like a very triumphant message. It's true. It's not triumphalism though. It's Christ, victorious overall. How often do we just take the time to think about his salvation and his victory on our behalf. Let's do so today. Let's let our heart bubble up in praise. Let it, let it just flow over into the way that we interact with our families and our friends. Those that we're going to encounter later on today. Christ is victorious. And this is the song that we are invited in to sing. You know, it's interesting in verse 7 that it says, For the king trusts in the Lord. If you remember from last Sunday, Seth was talking about this. Some trust in chariots. Some trust in horses. Well, what does that look like today? Well, some trust in 401ks or bank account balances. Some trust in, in their job, in their career trajectory. Some trust in the sciences. Some trust in health. There's all kinds of things that we can put our trust in. And I think he rightly drew our attention last week to what are we putting our ultimate trust in. And this passage today mirrors that when it says that the king trusts in the Lord. The king, the one who rules over all, trusts in Yahweh is what this passage is saying. The one who reigns supreme over all of creation. It's easy for us to see accounts in Matthew where Jesus calms and commands the wind and the waves and we think about Jesus is Lord over creation. But is Jesus Lord to you in the quiet and stillness of his presence? You see, verse 6 says that there is joy in his presence. Do we trust in that? We are made glad with the joy of the presence of God. We are brought back into the presence of God through Jesus Christ. And our, our heart can be overwhelmed with joy in that moment. Not our circumstances, not the, the other things that we're tempted to trust in. No, it is the king who himself trusts in the Lord. And so today there is a call to us to trust rightly in the Lord alone. Don't lean to the left or the right. Don't lean on your own understanding. Trust in him. I was thinking of it this way this last week. We're called to trust heading into battle. And we're called to trust in reflecting on battle. Let's just take a moment right now. Are, are you facing a trial in this life? I'm guessing that if we were to go around and poll the room, the overwhelming answer to that would be yes. Well, there's a call to you today to trust in the Lord. Have you experienced something of the provision of the Lord, of the power of the Lord, of the strength of the Lord, of the healing of the Lord, of the comfort of the Lord that cannot be explained through human terms? If yes, you are called to trust in the Lord. Maybe we can look at it this way. In the moments where you're getting ready to go into battle, and, and I don't mean that figuratively, in the moments when you are preparing yourself to go into the battle, can you pause for a moment and see the areas of faithfulness of God in your past? Can, can you see 
those altars? Those moments where an altar has been built, what is that altar doing? Well, it's, it's a monument to the faithfulness of God. Is there a pathway in your past of God's faithfulness that assures you of the future of his faithfulness? It's a faithfulness that he alone has. It's part of his character. It's a part of who he is as our Savior and our Sovereign. Faithfulness of God. Can that be something that gives you assurance as you face whatever that trial is in your life? I, I said earlier that one of the things that I was, I was actually on a phone call with Seth yesterday, I said, Seth, we didn't really talk about what battle is. And he says, because you gave me too much to preach on. No, that's not what he said. We didn't really talk about what battle is. You know, in this case, in this particular passage, we see that it is a nation at war. That there is a physical conflict coming. I, let, let me just make an assumption that that's not necessarily what you're facing tomorrow. Maybe that's not what you're heading home to today. But I think it would be right for us to realize that Ephesians chapter 6 gives us some instruction in this. Finally, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10, Be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devils. Of the devil. Church, we are at battle. We are in a spiritual battle. And this isn't about the soul of the nation. This isn't about the soul of your home. This isn't about the soul of the world. This is about you and me individually. We are in a spiritual battle. But let's continue to see what this passage tells us. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty daunting to me as a finite being. But here's what Psalm 21 and Ephesians chapter 6 is instructing us in today. Don't sit in traffic because you're running late and start to pray Lord, I, please forgive me for not putting on the armor of God. I should have suited up for this traffic today. How often is that our prayer, though? How often do we diminish things to that type of, where our own lack of faithfulness might have led to a moment where we feel like, well, now I'm in a spiritual battle. No, you might be just facing consequences of your own decisions. But there is a spiritual battle going on, and it is for your heart, and it is in heavenly places, and it is in spiritual places. And we follow a victor. Changes the way you approach a battle, doesn't it? All of a sudden, we don't sound like those that are in championship parades in a drunken stupor making all these guarantees about five more championships. No, my victor is victor forever. Forever and ever. For some reason, he invites me into that victory. God be praised. So when I face this battle and I see his faithfulness, I can be confident that he is with me. I can be confident that he is victorious before I even start to fight. It changes the game, doesn't it? changes the way that we look at the circumstances that we're walking through in this life. Trust 
in the Lord, church, and in the power of his might, in the victory that is secure. Let's continue to read. God says yes, which means that to his enemies, he also says no. Psalm 21, beginning in verse 8. Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath and fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among the children of man. Though they plan evil against you, though they devise mischief, they will not succeed. For you will put them to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows. When God says no, it's comprehensive. When God rejects, it's comprehensive. It's devastating. So in, the, in this passage, we see this marvelous yes of answered prayer, but let's acknowledge that there is a negative effect for the enemies of God. It is utter defeat. It is ultimate destruction. See, when the Lord captures his enemies, they become the objects of his wrath. They will be burned as a fiery oven burns. Consumed. Swallowed up. This is once again where we're pointed to the eternality of this passage because fire may paint the picture of a city burning to the ground, but fire is also a symbol of eternal torment in hell. In this morning, church, I don't want us to just simply rejoice in Christ's victory, but I want to call those who may currently be an enemy of God to join the winning side of this war. To not stand in opposition to the one who will consume you eternally in his wrath. I know that this is not a popular message today, but it is a necessary message today. One, because it reminds us not only that we have been rescued, those who call on the name of the Lord, who trust in the name of the Lord for our salvation, but we have been rescued from this eternal damnation. This eternity in hell, separated from God. And the invitation stands for you today. See, when God's judgment comes, your future dies. Generations upon generations will be consumed. Their offspring, it says in verse 10, their offspring will be brought from the children of man. They will be destroyed as well. It's a bleak future for those who do not rejoice in the joy of his salvation, for those who do not trust in the Lord. If you're here today, friend, my appeal to you is do not keep running. There's an interesting phrase in verse 12 for you will put them to flight, you will aim at their faces with your bows an interesting way to put that. The, the picture that's being invoked here is not only that the Lord opposes you, but that his wrath will come toward you. What a sobering picture. 
It's often attempted to be captured in movies where all of a sudden you hear just that one whistle out of nowhere. And then all of a sudden just this chorus of whistles as the archers, they line up on the line and they begin to fire their, their, bow, their arrows at the enemy. That's certainly a part of the picture here, that there is an aggression toward those who oppose the name of the Lord. The picture here also is that in any attempt to retreat, when it says that it is that those arrows are set at their faces, not only that you are overwhelmed at what you see coming toward you in his judgment, but that in the attempt to retreat, those arrows will actually lead you to your ultimate destruction. An attempt to run away, that those arrows will lead and guide you exactly to the point of his final judgment. But there's another beautiful picture embedded in that line. You see, those arrows are set at their face. But God provided a a Savior for you who set his face directly toward the wrath that you and I deserve. And he set his face toward the cross. That's what Scripture says. It uses the exact same phrase. He set his face at the cross. And for you and for me, he endured the wrath that we deserve. What did he do? Well, he went down to this pit of hell that this passage promises. He goes down into this eternal flame because of his love for you and for me, because of his passion for his Father's will. Because of that, he goes into this eternal hell and he rescues descendants that are intended for destruction. There is a Savior who has endured what this passage describes already on your behalf. The call today is simply this. Acknowledge your sin before him and trust in his name. See that he is the Savior who alone could endure this on your behalf rescuing you from this eternal promise. The one who comes to you and says, you do not have to be one that my face is set against. You can be one who my face was set toward when I endured the cross. Today, acknowledge your sin before him. Believe that he is the Savior that you need. Confess your sin before him and confess that he alone is Savior and Lord. You see, verse 2 of Psalm 21 says this, you have given him, that is the king, his heart's desire. You know, too often we read a passage like that and we just think about, why hasn't God given me everything that I want? That's not what the passage says. You have given him his heart's desire. There's, There's a bit of a twofold picture there. That God is the one who is actually placing the desires in the hearts of his people. He is the one who is feeding and fueling what those desires should be. And when our desires align with his will, everything everything that is said to us in Christ is yes and amen. He is not only placing those desires, but when we pray according to his desires, his answer to us is yes. This is what Jesus is after when he's teaching his disciples how to pray. And he says, pray like this, your kingdom come, your will be done. That is when we are aligning our heart with the heart of God. 
I don't know about you, church. I would like to pray that way every time. And yet, I so often fall short. What a stark warning and reminder for us this morning. What an opportunity to respond if you never have before. See, what the Lord requires for your salvation, He provides in Jesus Christ. No longer are we talking about this royal psalm of King David. No, no, no. We're talking of one far greater. King Jesus, who still rules and reigns today. He's seated at the right hand of God, interceding on your behalf. And if you hear his voice today, do not close your ears. If you sense his dearness, do not run away toward your destruction. Turn to him. Submit your life to him. That you may receive this salvation. For those who have done that before, the call today is this. Rejoice in that salvation. Look at what you've been saved from. Look at what God has done. Let's continue to read together. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. Now this passage started out with God saying yes to a prayer of the people. It continues on with God saying no to his enemies, and it paints this stark picture for us. It helps us to understand the glories of what God has done when he says yes to us. So now we're instructed on what our yes should be to him. Be exalted. You know, it's interesting if you look at the end of Psalm chapter 20, and I've spoken of them being complementary to one another. We see in verse 8 that there is a promise coming for the enemies of God that they will collapse and fall. But it says here that we will rise and stand upright. And once again, we're we're given a bit of a, a picture of what it looks like to serve and to worship God. Because be exalted in some translations may actually say it this way today. It says this, raise yourself in your strength. Well, it, it reminds us of it reminds us of the resurrection. It reminds us of his ultimate defeat over death. It reminds us of his power over death in the grave. So in the midst of this, we are acknowledging that he alone is the one who has this power. And so what are we going to do when we see one who has that kind of power and might and strength on our behalf? Not only are we going to trust in him, not only are we going to see his salvation as perfect for us, we are going to sing and praise because of that power. We're going to sing and praise because of that power. And so there's this twofold call for us today. Go to spiritual battle. And worship God by lifting up his name as the only divine power who overcomes his enemies, who brings deliverance. You know, when we think about Christ's ministry, it it continues to help us to rightly understand this psalm. It it continues to help us to rightly understand his kingdom. It, It continues to help us to understand how different it is that we can rejoice in these things than the people that originally sang these songs. How good it is to be able to stand on this side of Christ's ultimate victory on our behalf. 
So in light of the goodness of that, let's not, let's not let our response be shallow. Let's not let our response be shallow. But you see, Christ saved his people from, his, from their sins by his sacrifice. God raised him and granted the eternal life that this psalm sings of. And as the risen victor over death, Christ earned all of the authority to convey all of the blessings that he earned. He, he transfers those blessings to our benefit. That crown of gold that is placed on us, it's the power to defeat all the enemies of the church. This is something far greater than anything you may be facing tomorrow. That anything that may feel like it's threatened through the sciences or through politics or anything like that. Certainly greater than our career path and our 401ks. Certainly greater than any ways that we are fragile in our finite making. That crown of gold is his power to defeat all of the enemies of his church. His church is not this building. It's you and me. So when we're talking about Christ victorious, it doesn't just mean that someday this building will last forever. That's not true. But you and I will. His church. Because Christ submitted himself to God and his will through his sacrifice on our behalf, God enforces his authority to bring all of his enemies to under submission. Do we ever pause to think about that? We continue to battle against a defeated foe. Christ is exalted to the right hand of the Father. And the joy of his presence was restored to you and to me. The joy of his presence and the blessing that we can continually receive through that. And the joy of that reconciliation, the power of being a co-heir, a co-regent with Christ, it is what explains our eternal song of praise. Perhaps you're a guest and you came in here today and you just thought, these people love to praise God, this is why. Because he's victorious. David, in these psalms, he's training us as believers to pray for more than just everyday nuances. To pray, as we said earlier, your kingdom come, your will be done. To pray in a way that aligns with what is his heart for his people. You know, I'm grateful Mike Nash came up and shared just as I was getting ready to come up this morning, just a sense that there was this bigger picture of the kingdom of God that the Lord wanted us to just enjoy and experience today. You see, when the kingdom of God is not just the number gathered here today, the kingdom of God is something in our hearts. The kingdom of God is something in our mind, is something that, that we think about, that expands in our own hearts and minds. It's what scripture is talking about when it says that we need our hearts to be renewed that our minds to be renewed as well, transformed, changed in a way that aligns with the kingdom of God. And when that happens, the kingdom of God expands. And then when that overflows into the way that we share and we talk with others, the kingdom of God expands. And when we share our faith and we call people to a faith of their own, the kingdom of God expands. But you know what it starts with? 
singing in the victory that Christ provides. Understanding that Christ is victorious. The Holy Spirit allowing us to continue to grow and to be amazed in new ways every day. The Holy Spirit ministering to us, revealing the gifts that he's given to us to use for this kingdom of God. We each have a place in that kingdom. God's word speaks a lot about victory and defeat. And Deuteronomy 24 says this, The Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you and against your enemies to do what? To give you the victory. Praise God. This week as I've been studying Lael, if you don't mind just coming on out, I couldn't get this song out of my mind, so I'm going to put it in your mind too. Share my burden, church. No, that's not true. When we talk about Christ victorious, it's not a form of triumphalism. It's not us just simply looking at life and, and just trying to sing our way past our circumstances. If that worked, my life would be pretty good. I know how to sing. But when you, when you hear a song, there are times where it'll take you to this place where you remember part of the song, but not the whole song. So like this song says, and I sing because I'm happy. This is the song that's been going through my mind. I sing because I'm free. And there's truth in that. There's marvelous truth in that. But let us not forget the verses to this song. Where it says, why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? I don't know about you, but there are times in this life where I face moments where I feel like there are shadows attacking me. I don't mean that figuratively either, church. I mean a spiritual attack. I've shared, with, I've shared this at different times with our ministry team. Our elders know about this. This is not some confession of anything. This has been going on for years. So there's both this confession, this preaching the gospel to yourself, this reminding yourself of the victory of God, and there's this declaration. I sing because I'm happy. If you know it, would you sing it with me this morning? Why should I feel discouraged? And why? Should the shadows come? Why should my heart feel lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus, He is my portion a constant friend is he his eyes 
eyes on the sparrow and I know he watches me Jen come on up no cause if we're gonna sing cause we're happy it's gonna be a duet come on up I can hear you down there. I want the church to hear you up here. Let's go. Come on, sister. Take us there. And I sing because I'm happy. Let's sing that together. I sing because I'm happy. Ski on you, I apologize. His eye is on the sparrow, yes, yes, yes. And, and I know he watches over me. Stand together, church, let's sing together. <laughs> 